Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. No, I do like to golf, but um, you know what? Golf is fun. That's all I'm going to say. And it can be challenging as well. But it is an amazing game. Lots of fun. All right, tonight, the work of the enemy. Chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. Let's read it. And we'll dive into the study because I know you all are hungry. Amen? That smells good, doesn't it? We ought to do this like every week. What do you think? Yeah. It just smells good. It's... Yeah, really. Brother's given for sure. But let's read 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So Paul here again, focusing on, again, the reason and how things went down and the explanation why he couldn't return, what personally was happening, what was in our hearts toward them. And he expresses his heart and his love toward the Thessalonians here. I love this. This verse 19 and 20 is just like, man, what is, what is our hope or joy or crown? It's you guys built up in Jesus, getting saved, and going to be there with us in heaven. And really, when you think about it, that's what it's all about. That's why pastors and preachers and you guys, shepherds, do what we do. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to get in heaven, and someone is going to be there specifically because of you and your interaction, your impact in their life. So that's what Paul is talking about here. They, they were their glory, their joy, their crown of rejoicing, their reward. And so Paul, again, sharing his heart for these guys. Man, his heart of a shepherd, his heart to love these guys, his heart to endure the hardships and the trials and all the buffetings of the enemy for their sake. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to pull out verse number 18 and key on this verse and talk about this subject called spiritual warfare. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Isn't that the truth? The phrase hindered us, the word simply means to impede one's course by cutting off his way. Paul wanted to come time and again, tried many times, couldn't make it happen. The, the details of that, the exact reason why, whatever, other than the fact that it was the work of the enemy, has never been disclosed. It's just the fact that, man, Paul attributes all that and everything that was going on, really, in chapter 2 and 3, all the stuff, all the lies, all the, the questioning about Paul and you know, they're in it just for the money, for the glory. They don't really care about us. All that really was the work of the enemy, hindering the gospel. And, of course, the work of the enemy began where? In heaven, actually. Satan, we know. Lucifer, the anointed cherub, gets what? Puffed up with pride. You guys wonder why we struggle so much with pride. <laughs> we inherited it. Started there entered into the garden with Adam and Eve and continues to this day, to this night, hindering guys even from coming tonight. 
the work of the enemy always has been and always will be to come against the work God has started and has doing and will do in any way possible that the enemy can do. And of course, with the Thessalonians, the Jews, they'd stirred up the believers there to, to turn them away, to believe the lies and, and just to, to fall for the tactics really of the enemy, to doubt the sincerity of Paul, his ministry, Savannah and Timothy, ultimately, though, to impede and thwart the work of the gospel. Nothing new under the sun. We've seen this. We know this. We experience it. Of course, John 10.10, we know that scripture, right? The thief has come what? But to steal, kill, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. Kind of like Satan's three-pronged approach. And I kind of thought about the Biden the pitchfork that the devil is depicted with. Isn't that kind of interesting? Still, kill, destroy. Kind of help you remember that. The pitchfork. He won't stop at anything. Shameless in his attack. Doesn't ever give up. Doesn't ever play fair. Doesn't ever stop trying to take you down. Even after you have a hit, he hits again and he hits again and he hits again. Ultimately trying to destroy us. He works outside of truth and light. Um, his ways are clearly outlined in Scripture. Their influences are really, his influences are directed towards our fleshly nature and tendencies. He plays upon those weaknesses. And brothers, I've said this before, he knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're going to fall for. He knows what tempts you, what tickles your ear, what tickles your fancy, so to speak. So tonight, we're going to point out some of the stuff. This is not an exhaustive study, of course. We could be here for weeks. But there's some books out there. Um, one of them is by Warren Wisbury. Anybody read that out there? Yeah. Good book. Pretty exhaustive. It has a lot of information in there. But still, we need to have at least some knowledge. And for some of you guys, this is going to be a refresher. Because what has taken place in the world today? It's the work of the devil. What's taking place today in the lives of brothers and sisters that are following the work of the devil? Today, just today, I heard a story. And one of those stories you hear that your jaw drops and you can't believe what you're hearing in regards to a, a brother who fell. This guy, I'd, if I lined him up here, you would never pick him out as the one who fell. And yet this guy got caught up in drugs. And then the drugs led to pornography or back and forth. And then that all led to actually hanging out with prostitutes. To where everything he had, everything he was, everything he is, is gone. Wiped away. The spiritual warfare, guys, is real. This is not a game. Satan is attacking and his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. So the work of the enemy. Number one, the enemy hinders, as we've already spoken of. Satan hindered, the military term, really referring to digging a trench or, or breaking up a road or, or blowing up a bridge, when you look at this from a military standpoint, to keep the troops from being able to advance, to go to where they're supposed to go, to what the plan is. And so the enemy in his hindering, he impedes. He brings, he brings resistance. 
to the work, resistance to our lives. Anybody experience that resistance? Experiencing it today in preparing to study. You know, certain things you don't want to teach on. The spiritual warfare is one of those ones, but actually it's been pretty mild for me, although today I'm in my office praying, and our beloved Pastor Pat, he's got his own office. I'm in my office, I'm praying. I'm like seeking the Lord. Well, he, he decides to come to the little, we have a little kitchen nut area close to my office and everything, and he's on the phone. And he's not talking like, hey, how you doing? He's yelling. And I'm serious. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to walk in there and tell him, Pat, you got your own office. And he's like, nope, that's just the devil. He's, he was resisting. He's impeding. But also he thwarts. He works against the plans of God. And he sidetracks. And this is what I see happening so much in our church today. By distraction and division, he sidetracks the work of God. Because if he can get us caught up in politics, if he can get us caught up in COVID, if he can get us caught up in mask or no mask, if he can get us caught up in vaccination or non-vaccinated or whatever, whatever, he'll use anything to get me and you sidetracked. And brothers, people are sidetracked over this thing. They're losing their minds over this thing. Hey, do what you want to do. Do, you know, whatever, whatever. But, man, don't let the enemy use it in your life to cause a division, to distract you, to distract the pulpit. Man, the pulpit is to preach the gospel, not anything else. Humanity. So the enemy hinders, as we know. Number two, though, if the enemy can hinder, who is in control? Who is in control? And, of course, this is an area that often stumbles people. Why did this happen? Why does this happen? Why did God allow this? What is going on here? Who's in charge? Who's in control? Well, let's turn to Job chapter 1. You guys know this book, I believe. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. Let's talk about this a bit here. And we have some answers here because ultimately the bottom line is God is in control. God has to allow the enemy to do what he does. Satan has to ask permission. Only that which comes our way is allowed by God. And ultimately, God is the one that calls the shots. So chapter 1, verse 6, and of course, we know this, this story if you've read the book of Job. Um, I would not want to be Job. I wouldn't want to be God bragging on me. I was telling the leadership, man, let him brag on Bob or let him brag on Albert or whatever, but not. Because that's what's going on. God starts bragging on Job, and Satan's like, Psh, man, yeah, yeah, he's blessed. You've put a hedge of protection around him, and you've blessed his life. No wonder he's doing good. Take all that away. So what does God say? Hey, now there was a day when the sons of their six, God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, hey, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, ha, does Job fear God for nothing? You have made a hedge around him. Important to remember that, guys. God has hedged us. He has put a protection around us. And truly, there is so much that comes our way that we will never even know about. Because God's saying, nope, I'm not allowing that. Nope, that's not going to happen. Nope. Because ultimately, 
in the three-pronged plan of the devil, steal, kill, and destroy, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a nuclear bomb coming at every one of us every day. Nope. You made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he is, has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have been increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Of course, the devil's, you know, provoking God in a sense. It wasn't God who did anything. Here it is. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, as we know. So, and of course, what happens? Bam. Job loses it all. Only thing he doesn't lose is his wife, who is just... <laughs> I didn't say that. It wasn't recorded on tape. So we move to chapter 2, verse 3. So, Job has taken everything. And then, God is still. And, and yet, we know there at the end of chapter 1, hey, blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came in, naked I go out. He's praising God. Man. So here we go again. The story continues. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth. The blameless upright, he's bragging on him again. Man. One who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Going back to our passage, going back to... Thessalonians, the hindering work of the enemy, remember, Satan had to ask permission. So understand that. Yes, the enemy can hinder, but it is God who is in control of the hindering. So, and this course it speaks of his sovereignty, he is in control. Now, number three, though, why does God allow the work of the enemy? Ever ask yourself that question? Of course you have. Why me? Why now? Why, why, why? We have found ourselves in that place many times. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll have some answers here. A perfect example of where Paul goes through this situation in his life, and we see why. We see why. reason. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, of course, this is a great chapter. Love this chapter. Hopefully you know this chapter as well. This is the chapter where Paul trying to share with the Corinthians that he really is who he said he is, and yet he's not boasting. But if he did boast, this is what he could boast about. But he talks about the fact that he's lifted up into paradise. So he sees paradise, he, but he also hears words that are inexpressible, that would be unlawful, would be wrong for him to try and describe what he heard, what he saw. So he has this incredible life experience that God gives him, I believe, in order to give Paul the ability and the strength to make it through the attacks that were coming his way surely in his ministry life. And what did Paul go through? My goodness. So God gives him a glimpse of heaven. And so in this glimpse, though, in doing that, God also had to kind of throttle 
Paul back a little bit. Because seeing what he saw and experiencing what he experienced, I mean, the average pastor today, Christian, whatever, they'd be on the news, they'd be on all the talk shows, they'd be writing books, they'd be making movies out of them, they'd be making, they'd have cars and planes and boats, and they'd become prideful. But God has a plan. So Paul says, going through all this, verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure, By the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So we see here, number one, God allows the work of the enemy to keep Paul humble. Lest I be exalted above measure. By the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Report, recording that twice, the temptation to become prideful there. So God allows the enemy to give him this thorn. It's believed that this thorn possibly could have been a, a problem with Paul's eyesight, drippy, runny eyes, hardly able to see. So he pleads three times, of course, as we know in the story. Concerning the saying, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And this verse, number nine, we love to quote it, but we don't love to live it. Amen? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So, Paul was, was humble, but also this experience let Paul see God's grace. God's grace in action, in the midst of his weakness. But Paul also was able to see God's power in the midst of this thing. He says here again, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul actually kind of goes a little crazy if you ask me. It's almost like, The experience of being humble, the experience of seeing God's grace work, the experience of seeing God's power was so overwhelming in Paul's life, he's like, bring it on. Man, don't give me just one thorn. Give me a crown. Give me, bam, give me all that the devil has because of that experience of what what happened in this process. And, of course, as we have gone through things in our own lives, if we have have experienced trials and heartache and pain and suffering, only to see God deliver us. And you turn, you look back, and your faith today is so radically different than it was before that situation. And yet, honestly, in our hearts, we're like, okay, that's enough. That's enough, God, okay. But no, God does such an amazing work. So this work, of course, of the enemy was to keep Paul humble, to let Paul see God's grace and his power, but also it was to keep Paul relatable. Relatable. See, if Paul had lived this blessed Orange County, perfect Christian life, you know how to get throw that Orange County in there, huh? Orange County. <laughs> Where everything is blue skies and beaches and everybody's driving Audis and this is wonderful life, right? If, if that's the case in your own life, then what happens is that you can't relate to 
the person that's working next to you or a family member or a neighbor who is going through life like crazy. So what does God do? What does he allow happen in our lives? We got to go through it, guys. And you have gone through it. And each of you has certain experiences and life experiences. And maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, whatever it is, so that you might be able to relate to the brother that God brings your way, even in a group. Even in a group. And I'll use, remember our, our dear brother, who, Kurt, who took off to Oregon, who bailed out on us and living up in paradise. Well, remember what brought him to Christ in the first place was the loss of his son. God used that, allowed that work of the enemy to bring him to Christ. He lost his son. And yet God used that experience. He will testify. He will tell you the story of when a person came into his group, the situation and circumstance. Maybe not exactly the same with the person who lost a loved one. Being able to be used by God. Paul had to experience difficulty so that other men would see that he went through it as well. That he wasn't living his perfect Christian life. And so understand what comes your way, what happens in your life, God wants to use. Because you as a Christian have overcome in the situation. You've been able to fight through it. You've seen God work. With the person next to you who's going through it, they're ready to take their lives. They're ready to, to jump on the drugs and the alcohol because they can't deal with it. They need Jesus, and you got it. So also, number four, but also number five, to keep Paul relying on God and not himself. And oftentimes, you guys, we come to the end of our rope only to be able to reach out to God's rope. And he brings us through. And maybe when you think about it, maybe that's the reason why God didn't allow Paul to return. Huh. Maybe God wanted the Thessalonians to rely upon God and not the great Apostle Paul, who really, you think about it, they, they might have been in a place of like worshiping Paul or like, you know, Paul represents God and, and he's the guy we focus on. No, no, no. Remember, God's over here like, no, no, eyes on me. He's just an instrument. So, God uses the spiritual warfare, the attacks, to build our faith and trust, you guys. But he also uses it to correct us. That's not the part we like. But again, God uses the enemy. Remember in the, with the Assyrians and what God did with the Assyrians from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, how he corrected the children of Israel through that whole experience. So the enemy hinders if he can hinder who's in control, we know who is. Why does he allow the work of the enemy? Man, God works in our hearts and our lives. But number four, why does the enemy do it? Why does he punk us out so much? Well, bottom line, simply because he hates us. And he hates God. Period. God kicked him out of heaven because of his pride, sent him to earth. And ever since, he's tried to get back at God because of that and understanding that we are God's prized creation. There's nothing greater in creation than me and you in God's eyes. Heavens, stars, suns, even angels. No, we're it. We're the best thing that God created. And so Satan knowing this, so who is he going to try and get to God through me and you, me and you coming after us. Remember, as we said, John 10, 
10. Steal your heart from God. Kill your soul in unbelief. Kill your body before salvation. But also destroy your life slowly. And that, I think, is really the number one tactic that the enemy uses. I mean, think of the heroin addict out there. Think of the meth addict out there and how it's a slow death. Alcoholic, how it's a slow death. How the person just pines away slowly but surely. But the devil's into collateral damage, you guys, because it's just not that person that goes through it. Those of you that have been involved in that, have that experience in your own lives, you know you die alongside the person in your family that's going through that as well. He takes everything he can. He'll use anything. He'll use the sin that you mess up in to destroy the whole rest of your family. He, he doesn't rule respect your persons. Loves the collateral damage. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a shotgunner rather than an a, a AR-15 kind of guy. I'll just shoot everybody. Shoot them all. See, Satan wants as many people as he can get to spend eternity in hell with him. He knows hell's already his destiny. He's read the book. He knows the end of the story. So what is he doing? And he wants to, wants to mock God in trying to get me and you to believe the lie that his plan is better for your life than God's. How many people do you know are on the devil's plan and not God's plan. And they don't even know it, huh? They don't even know it. Oh, no, no, no. This is, this is, this is way better life. This is, this is the way to go. This is what's real. What you believe isn't true. This is all true and everything. And that's Satan's plan for him. Satan's got them all heading down that path. Straight to hell. His way is better than God's way. So many people fall for this lie. That's why the enemy does it. Then fifthly, though, what are the enemy's tactics? How does he do this? What does he do? 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What are the tactics that he uses to devour? Well, I wrote down eight of them that are up there. I have the scriptures here. I'll read them to you. And again, ultimately, all this stuff comes under the, the, the whole umbrella of deception. The devil uses everything in his arsenal to deceive. Because if he can deceive you, you're done. And yet, that's, that's the problem that we see in the world today. People are deceived by the devil. They don't even know what... Revelation 12, 9, he deceives. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of the old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. So he deceives. Deception. But also in that part of deception, he lies. John 8, 43, that he is the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. Everything he speaks is a lie. Even if it's mixed with truth, to try and, and twist the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 
3 through 5, he blinds. He blinds. He, he brings spiritual blindness to people's eyes. And when you're praying for loved ones who aren't saved, you got to pray against that blindness. You can pray for salvation, but salvation will never come until that blindness is removed. They just they can't see what you and I see. They can't see the truth. They've been blinded. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he deceives, he lies, he blinds, he confuses. James 3, 15, 16, the wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing there are. All a work of the devil, confusion. But also in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, this is an amazing one, he counterfeits. He's a counterfeiter. Counterfeits. It's amazing, this, this passage, if you don't know it. For such are a false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And this is a scary one. You think about it. To fool you into believing the lie of the false doctrines or, or even thinking of Mormonism, that comes to mind. Because that, that false teaching, false religion, is a counterfeit. It's, it's, it's a, it looks good. It looks right. The people in it are such nice people. My goodness, they bring pies to your door. They just look like counterfeit, man, counterfeit, Satan, transforming himself to an angel of light. But also number six, he tempts, of course, we know this, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, here in our book in Thessalonians, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor was in vain, tempting us with the flesh, through the flesh through the false temptiness, but also he oppresses. And, and that's that, that thing that comes upon when you're just in the midst of it and the enemy's attacking. It's like, man, you're heavy under it. Jesus was speaking about this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For, of course, the God was with them, oppressing, hassling, tempting, taunting, to ultimately coming to the place where he can possess. Remember, I don't know, a few months back, it might have been when I talked to you the story about the the young girl in the main sanctuary who was demon-possessed. But we know this in Luke 22, 3 through 5, about Judas, poor Judas. Then Satan entered Judas. And there's many instances in the Gospels about demon possession. Mary Magdalene, how many demons did she have? Yeah, yeah, there's a Bible man right there. How about the guy from Gadar- the Gadarean, the guy that was in the tombs and whatever, whatever just, man. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of instances of, of this stuff going on. So that's the tactics 
the devil uses in our lives. Deception, lies, blinds us, confuses us, counterfeits, tempts, oppresses, possesses. And of course, it's a bad day when you get possessed. Amen? <laughs> Not making light of it because it is real. So some application, spiritual warfare, of course, is a reality. Some of you, that might be news. Obviously, for the rest of us here who've been involved in this longer than a week and a half, this is the real deal. Peter said, think it not strange at the fiery trial, which is a trial as though some strange thing has happened. It's real. It's a reality. We've got to understand it's a fact of Christian life. Remember what happened to Jesus after he was baptized. That's still a trippy story. That still blows my mind. Immediately taken by the Spirit, where into the wilderness to, to what happened? To be tempted by the devil. If it happened to Jesus, we're going to experience it as well. Again, remember the enemy is going to do anything to get you back. You became a Christian. You left his kingdom for God's kingdom and ever since. Because when you were on his side, I mean, you were kind of left alone. I mean, most of the stuff you got into was your own doing anyhow. But as long as you stayed true to him, and yet the minute you stepped out of darkness into light, man, all over with. He's on you. It's reality. Number two, recognize him. Don't get caught off guard. 1 Peter 5 says, be vigilant, on guard, be alert, be mindful of his schemes, understand those tactics, and recognize his ability to deceive, recognize his ability to lie, recognize his ability to blind. This is, in, in, in going through things in your life, in experience, you've got to, again, be able to step back and just go, this is just an attack. This is just the enemy. These, these lies aren't true. Your wife isn't having an affair with your next-door neighbor. You know, you're not going to lose your job tomorrow. Your kid isn't dead over here. I mean, all these crazy lies that the enemy can throw out. No. Spiritual warfare, guys. Got to be able to recognize this is a spiritual attack. Recognize and resist them. Number three, resist. Don't give in to his tactics. James Four says, resist him, he will flee. So what does that mean? Simply means that you can resist him. You can say no. You don't have to give in. You don't have to take the bait. I love using this, this analogy of, with, with fishermen. Because Satan is a pro-fisher. And he knows exactly what kind of bait you and I will bite on. And he's constantly just... Putting it right in front of you, right in front of you, right in front of you, right in front of you. Just like throwing that anchovy right in front of that tuna. Bam! He knows the bait that you will bite on. Don't take the bait. Enemy's fishing. Remember the man in Proverbs 7. When's the last time you, wrote, you read Proverbs 7 about the, the poor guy who takes the bait of the harlot? And is reduced to a crust of bread. Man, he took the bait and paid dearly for it. And that's what happens. You got to turn away. You got to resist the temptation. You got to run like Joseph sometimes. But then also, number four, stand firm against him. Don't be defensiveless. Don't be. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. 10 through 18, you guys know this passage of Scripture because we've talked about it maybe a hundred times. 
Stand firm against them, guys. Stand firm. Ephesians chapter 6. How many of you guys know this passage of Scripture? Anybody got it memorized? Right here, baby. Right here. I'm telling you that much. Why? Because I need it. I need it. I need to remind myself. I need to stand firm. Number one, stand firm in his power. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Anybody that thinks that they're strong enough to battle against the devil, I mean, you're just as foolish as anyone. Crazy. But we stand firm in his power. But also we stand firm in his protection. Verse 11 through 17, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So there is a way that we can stand. We put on this armor. Verse 12, so important to know this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Your wife is not the enemy. Your kids are not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy. The flesh is not the enemy. The enemy is our enemy, to make a point. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we put on this protection here, guys, recognizing this. Verse 13, so he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in evil deed, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore. And sometimes, guys, in the midst of spiritual force, Warfare, you just got to stand. You just got to have their armor on, and it's like the, the wind, the storm, the hurricane is blowing. You got to wait out the storm. You got to wait it out. But you stand firm, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench how many of the fiery darts? Man, that's a promise. All. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. That shield of faith. What you believe. Take that shield. Hold on because the darts are coming. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We stand firm in His protection, but we stand firm in the Word, you guys. Without the Word, we don't get... The nourishment, we don't get the instruction, we don't get the encouragement, we don't get the, the commands that we need to fight this battle. Stand firm in the word, but also, verse 18, we stand firm in prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. We stand firm in patience, you guys. Enduring, holding on until the battle passes until we get through this. So we stand firm against them. We're not defenseless. We have the things that we need. And fifthly, though, this is kind of from my own experience, don't jump in the ring with them. What's that mean? So you're in the middle of a situation, and you're feeling your flesh is beginning to get moved, if you know what I mean. I see that as the devil's like saying, you think you're tough? You think you're bad? You think you can handle me? Come on in. Come into the ring with me. Jump into the ring. Go ahead and engage in that argument with your, your boss. 
or your neighbor, go ahead, go ahead, jump into it. You know what? That's it. You've said enough. Let's go. It's on. The minute you step into the ring with the devil, you're going to lose every single time. You're never going to win. You step out in the flesh, you walk in the flesh, you're going to lose. And you're going to lose big time. And it's going to be an embarrassment to you because you're going to come out of it and you're going to go, oh my gosh, did I ever get ripped off with that one? Did I ever get caught off guard? I didn't even see that one coming. That's, that's a good one. The devil works on us. You're going to lose every time. We got to fight the enemy on God's terms. You'd never jump into the ring. What do you do? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And the greatest weapon we have in the midst of that, including all that was said in Ephesians, is we stop and we pray. After we recognize, oh, no, no, this is just the devil. It's just the devil. That person just cut me off and is now pushing on their brakes, trying to get me to rear. That's just the devil. Happened to me the other day. I kid you not. And I pulled on. I said, what's some old guy? I said, I get out. Whoop you. I can tear you up. <laughs> he was about 90 years old. So there'd be no problem. Just the devil. Just the devil. I, 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 uh, I'd go to jail. Of course, we know all that. But, and that's exactly it. Pastor goes to jail, whooping on a nine-year-old man. And the old man says, I don't know what, what was my Of course, he was doing it on purpose. He knows it. The devil knows it. Don't jump under the ring, number six. Don't open the door to him. Man, this means doing something in the flesh. Anything. Maybe it's doing drugs. It's going back to drinking, watching pornography, reacting in anger, anything in the flesh, walking in the flesh. Because what you're doing is you're giving him a foothold. You're, you're, you, you crack the door just that much the devil, and he's there. He can, and he comes in like a flood. Don't open the door. Don't open the door, you guys. The last thing, number seven, you got to leave the rest up to God. Because he is our shield, he is our fortress, he is our stronghold, he is our protector, he is our refuge, he is our savior, he is our hedge as he was around Job, and the battle belongs to him. Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Remember, the Lord loves you. And yes, things come our way, we don't understand, we don't it doesn't make any sense to us. Why would God allow this attack of the enemy, this work of the enemy? And, of course, we see this all in Scripture. Poor Apostle Paul. Just read the book of Acts. Really? And yet it's there. Understanding, though, that he still loves you even in spite of all that. And there is a plan in it. There is a crazy plan in it. Sometimes we don't see it. We never see it. But also Psalm 125. read this just the other day. Such a good one. Those who trust in the Lord, those who trust that God's going to fight this battle, that God's going to protect them, that God's going to shield them, that God's going to keep them, all right? Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. 
from this time forth and forevermore. So the work of the enemy, guys, don't fall for his tactics. Stay close to Jesus. Abide under the shadow of his wings. Stay right there. Doesn't mean you're not going to be attacked. Doesn't mean you're not going to go through it. Doesn't mean you're not going to stumble here and there. But you know what? You're going to be safe, and you're going to make it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray, guys. And Father, for my brothers, Lord, um, and I know every single person in this room is going through something, some type of spiritual warfare, some type of attack, some type of work of the enemy. Lord, I thank you for reminding us, Lord, that the battle does belong to you. And that, Lord, we're not left on our own. You've given us instructions. You've given us a plan. We are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. I just pray, Lord, that we would all be in that place where we're walking in the Spirit, thus not fulfilling the flesh. So bless, Lord, tonight. Again, thank you for providing all this food. Bless it, nourish and strengthen our bodies and the fellowship together. Brothers dwelling as one, Lord. So bless, we pray. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.